Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hi everyone and welcome to the next episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content here at Open Banking Expo and I'm delighted to be joined by Imran Ghulam Hussainwala, Trustee of the Open Banking Implementation Entity or OBIE, as it's better known, a not-for-profit organisation established by the Competition and Markets Authority following its review of retail banking to deliver open banking in the UK. Now, the UK has been seen to lead the way in the adoption of open banking and has provided a model for implementation that other countries are now following. Last year, the OBIE announced that the UK had reached something of a milestone, with 3 million UK citizens and small businesses using open banking-enabled products and services. And in April this year, the OBIE published figures which showed there are now 311 regulated providers, made up of 226 third-party providers and 85 account providers, with 113 regulated entities that have at least one proposition live with customers. Now, the future of the OBIE is at a critical juncture. Thank you for joining me today, Imran, and welcome to the podcast. Ellie, it's fantastic to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And and can I just say thank you very much as well for doing the sterling work, getting the, the word out on open banking uh, out into the ecosystem. You and others doing a great job there. For too long, open banking has been the best kept secret in financial services, uh, but that's all changing. So thank you very much and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much, Imran. And um, well, let's start then, first of all, by asking you to explain, if you will, to our listeners what, what your role is at OBIE. Sure. So I've got the a grandiose title. I'm the trustee of OBIE. Basically, what that means is that I've been appointed by our antitrust regulator, the Competition Markets Authority, to to deliver open banking here in the UK. Uh, And they've given me certain powers to do that. Um, One of the most important powers is that I can mandate uh, the nine largest banks here in the UK to implement the standards the way that we would like them to. Um, And the other significant power that they've given me is they've given me the ability to create an organization. It's the not-for-profit organization that you just described. It's called the OBIE, the Open Banking Implementation Entity. And that's been created to assist uh, in the creation of the standards, the implementation of those standards, the monitoring of the bank's performance against those standards, and also to promote growth and adoption within the overall open banking ecosystem. And as I mentioned in the intro, the UK is is really a leader, isn't it, when it comes to open banking? So, what what makes it a leader? Why why is that the case? So, so the um, open banking has come around globally through a couple of different um, vectors, if you like. Um, the most obvious one is through PSD two and the bit within PSD two, which is the the regulations that come out of the EU that refers to access to accounts. So one benchmark we look at is how we compare against Europe. And and there I'm very pleased to say that I believe and what people tell me is that we're well advanced versus Europe. Um, Because even though we have had to apply the same regulations from Brussels, being PSD2, here in the UK, we decided very early on on two important facets. One is that we were actually going to require the banks to open up access through standards. 
So every single bank in the UK had to use the same standard. And the logic very simply being that if they all use the same standard, that any authorized third party that wanted to connect to any of the banks only had to build once. Whereas, of course, in Europe, where they're not imposing standards, um, many of the third parties will have to build many, many implementations, often specific to individual banks. Then the other aspect is that there's nothing in PSD2 that requires the creation of an implementation entity. And, and actually what we realized very early on is that a strong, independent and well-funded implementation entity is really helpful in getting this stuff designed and built. And, and what we've done is we've, we've created something that is very open. It takes into views, um, it takes into account the views of all stakeholders, including the big banks, the third parties, and crucially the end users. And, and then what it does is it, it designs standards that work for the benefit of the entire ecosystem. And, and when I speak to my peers and colleagues across Europe, those are the two things that they feel that they've missed on. And that means that we've built open banking more quickly than they have in Europe. And we've got far more um, activity in it. My understanding is, is that we have got more third parties actively engaged in the UK's open banking ecosystem than all of Europe combined. So, so it's, a, it's a, Europe will catch up. I think it's just going to take them a little bit longer. When I look further afield, um, then you have open banking cropping up in many other uh, geographies, obviously nothing to do with PSD2, uh, but this fundamental understanding or recognition rather that the, the data that the bank holds on the user belongs to the user and not to the bank. I think it's just not even argued about anymore. And, and open banking is the, um, uh, the exemplification of that of that principle and so what you're seeing is in places particularly like australia new zealand hong kong brazil mexico canada's thinking about it israel a couple of countries in in africa as well is that they're all moving towards a form of, of open banking uh, and, and they're looking at the uk as a really interesting model as, as how to do that um, so we, we we started on our journey early uh, and we did it in a fairly robust way and, and i think that's why we are we are leading on this. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to announce many more milestones in terms of end user adoption uh, in the coming years. It's still very early days for us, um, but uh, uh, I'm really optimistic about the outlook. Absolutely. And as you mentioned there, in a way, it still is early days. So although we've got this lead, you know, I guess what we don't want is for the UK to become complacent in any sense. So how can how can the UK keep up this kind of momentum um, and avoid any uh, kind of pitfalls in terms of open banking and open finance becoming a bit of a lost opportunity further down the line? Yeah, we've got a fantastic uh, lead and and really we've got a springboard into some of those other things. But But when you think about, you know, how could we how could we waste our opportunity? The way that I think about it is, first of all, what we need to do is making sure that open banking that we've created already is secure and doesn't go backwards. Then the second thing that we need to do is make sure that we have got uh, some kind of a platform to lead into open finance, because that will benefit the other sectors, but it will also make open banking work better. 
And then the third thing we need to do is figure out how we can embrace other sectors, including things like energy, utilities, telcos, and so on. So all of those need to work um, in order for us to, to maintain this lead. Um, and when you look at some of the other countries around the world, it is really exciting what someone like somewhere like Australia is doing because they didn't start on their journey thinking about open banking and then stop. They started their journey thinking about open data and, and the financial services sector is just the first sector um, uh, to be looked at. But they have a roadmap that will take them all the way through to water, telco, and even uh, what they call the grocery sector as well. Um, so we've got a lot of work still to do. It's very early days. Right now, the immediate question is how do we ensure that open banking maintains its position even without some of those other aspects? And there is a huge debate in the industry at the moment as how to ensure that as the Competition and Markets Authority begins to exit stage left, that the governance, the funding, the independence, the openness, the promotion of open banking is um, retained purely just to keep us, us where we are today. So um, uh, yeah, there's 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 a lot of work still to do, uh, even just to uh, to hold on to this position, let alone build on it. Yeah, of course. And I know that uh, the OBIE is is working on the kind of final implementation stages of open banking. So what is there still left to deliver uh, from your perspective? Yeah. So when it comes to open banking itself, the way that I like to think about that is that first of all, we've got to build the infrastructure. And then secondly, we've got to get third parties on it, authorized third parties. And then the final bit is we need end users actually using it. And, and that is a multi-year process. Even the implementation bit itself was a multi-year process. But I'm pleased to say that we're probably 90% of the way through. Um, so the way that we, we work on a practical basis is we have these things called roadmaps. They create approximately a year's worth of activity. And that includes building the standards and then getting the banks to implement it. And, and, and we're about 90% of the way through. The, the big things that are outstanding there are some aspects of payments, and in particular, something that we term sweeping. So that's the ability for end users and small businesses uh, to automatically sweep funds into high interest bearing accounts or to sweep funds into uh, overdraft facilities. So essentially, they, they can save money. Um, that's the big thing that, that we've really got outstanding, plus some other pieces. Once that bit is done, then um, we really need to uh, continue to focus on um, third parties on the ecosystem. And you're absolutely right. We've got more than 300 authorized third parties already engaged with open banking, which is fantastic because only nine were required to. The other 300 or so have come voluntarily, which is brilliant. It shows that we're doing something right. There's another 300 or so in the pipeline. Um, so we're not short of, of opportunity there. It's still very early days for these, for these third parties. They're beginning to get products out into the, uh, into the real world. Um, and as you said, we've announced that 3 million uh, uh, customers are actively using open banking. All the predictions show is that's gonna grow at some point, there's going to be what some people call a killer app in there, and we're going to get that kind of hockey stick curve. And I'm very confident that soon we'll be talking about tens of millions of people doing it. But we have to retain the independence, the openness, um, and the, the funding of the OBIE in order to make that happen 
for for several years to to come. But one of the things I would just like to say that I'm I'm really excited about as well is that in the um, is through some of the work that the team, my team at Open Banking Implementation Entity, have been doing, is bringing the government much closer to some of the benefits for them through open banking. Uh, and I'm particularly proud of work that the team have done to bring HMRC to the table. So they're actually now able to take payments through open banking, which means that they don't have to pay card interchange fees and it could save and it will save uh, HMRC, DVLA and various other government departments, hundreds of millions a year uh, in, in card fees. Um, and it's just another example of when you promote this stuff and you promote it uh, in a thoughtful way, you can find some of those big users out there that really will benefit from it and bring it ever more into the mainstream. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a huge development as well. And um, we obviously know that the, that the CMA is looking to create kind of new body uh, to kind of succeed the OBIE, which is likely to have, would you say, a, a broader remit? I mean, what, what, what might this look like? Yeah, so, so the, the, um, the excitement, the exciting opportunity about the CMA beginning to, as I said earlier, exit stage left from this. So the, the original power behind all this came from something called the CMA order, which is a, a, a legal framework that means that we could create open banking. Um, it's been incredibly helpful at helping us get the progress that we've demonstrated. But at the same time, it's got a very clear boundary around it. And it means that the Open Banking Implementation Entity hasn't been able to work effectively on anything other than checking accounts, other than current accounts. And so one of the um, excitement, exciting developments of the CMA beginning to exit stage left is that the OBIE can begin to work on other financial services products, so the open finance products, such as mortgages, savings, uh, pensions and insurance, um, and, and potentially even other things as the requirements come in, in other sectors. So that gives a lot more flexibility to the OBIE. The trick in all of this is that as they do that, is to ensure that the OBIE remains well-funded and fully independent in terms of its governance and open to all members of the ecosystem so that it can deliver for everyone without it being co-opted by the large banks. So, so the UK historically has had um, many examples of creating these kind of things. You only have to look at the payments world as a, as a for example, where very quickly these bits of infrastructure that essentially are a public good that for the benefit of all participants and all end users become monopolized by the large banks who essentially are the big funders in all of this. And I believe that the large banks themselves are aware of this danger. We're also aware of this danger. And what we need to make sure is that we can create something that doesn't fall into that trap. Um, and all those discussions are, are ongoing at the moment. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point, of course. And um, and uh, given all of that, then, um, I was just wondering, sort of, your role obviously continues with the OBIE. Um, how how do you see your role continuing as, as that remit broadens? Will you take a similar role? 
What me personally, you're talking about? Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I, I, look, it's, it's all open, open for discussion. There's going to be a lot of change happening at the moment. The thing, the thing that's interesting about my role uh, is that it's actually in two parts. One is that I'm the implementation trustee, which means that I have got uh, some legal obligations to the CMA, uh, and the large banks have some legal obligations to me as the trustee. But I'm also the chairman of the board of OBIE, um, and uh, that means that I have historically used OBIE, directed OBIE, to ensure that the uh, CMA requirements are met. What, what I'm hoping will happen is that um, one way of, of um, uh, what I'm hoping that will happen in terms of moving us forward is that we will separate those two roles. So you will have a trustee and then you will also have a independent board and chair of the board of, of, of open banking implementation entity. Um, and therefore the role that I've been occupying for the last four years will fundamentally change. And of course, then I'll have to make some decisions as, as to what I do next. But um, I'm not integral to how this all works. Uh, I've taken it um, uh, really quite far forward. Um, it needs a new structure in order to, to really take advantage of the lead that we've created already. Okay, so watch this space then. Um, and, you know, given that, as you mentioned, there are now several million active users of open banking, um, I was just wondering what, what you think the future holds in terms of not just open banking adoption, but also innovation in the UK, because that, that's crucial, isn't it, really? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm very excited about where, where we are now because I, I, ha I struggle to think of a government-led initiative that has created so much interest, inward investment, innovation and fundamentally competition uh, as this has done in, in financial services. Um, you know, it is, it, is, it is great that we had such a vibrant fintech sector. We have such a vibrant fintech sector here in the UK. Um, and that sector has um, embraced open banking with, with open arms. And, and, and why wouldn't it do so? You know, for many fintechs, it's all about data. And if we can create a safe and secure way that consumers can share their data with authorized third parties, then it helps consumers find better deals, find, make better decisions using these authorized third parties in a way that, frankly, the whole ecosystem can trust everyone in it. So, so we've created, I think, a really kind of interesting technology, but also principles that underpin all, all of this kind of stuff. I think we're at the very early stages of seeing some of that innovation and competition. Um, where I expect to see real activity happen is, of course, within the credit space, uh, but I see it also in the insight space. Um, and, and I'm not just talking about budgeting tools, but um, budgeting tools that will help you figure out how much you should save, how much you could spend, um, but also just making better decisions and, and finding better, better products. I'm very interested to see where we end up with um, uh, the payments piece. You know, I think it is, it's clear that the uh, electronic payments are taking off. At the moment, so much of it goes through the cards rails, and that just goes through two companies, Visa and MasterCard. There has to be an alternative. There has to be uh, an alternative that can provide real competition. 
uh, and interbank payments are that mechanism. And open banking is, is the way that that's actually delivered to end users using hundreds of different payment providers out there. So, so really exciting as to, as to where those elements will come. And I've no doubt about it that over time, and these things do take time, consumers and users will become more confident in using it, um, you know, particularly if they're able to do things like make government payments um, and they're doing things like small businesses using open banking to connect directly to their cloud accounting platforms. Um, it will just become the kind of thing that will sit in the background and people become more and more uh, are used to using it. But the real, the real zinger for open banking is, of course, when you can see all your financial relationships in one place. Um, and, and that's what people want if they're really going to engage within with financial services. And, and they need to. The FCA um, has been banging that drum for many years, if not decades. People need to engage with this stuff because it is important. It, a lot of money is at stake for, for individuals and it sits at the heart of many life making decisions. So if we can make it easier for them and in a single place, maybe it's an app on a phone, they can see their pensions, they can see their savings, they can see how much money they owe, uh, they can see their bank account and they can see their insurance, then they will make better decisions. But for that to happen, we really need open finance to work and we really need open finance to be built on the same platform that open banking has been built on. I, I do worry that if that isn't really understood by government and they don't mandate it, then the incumbents within each of those products will actually end up conforming with the letter of the law, i.e. build open finance, but not the spirit of the law by building it in lots of different places. So the poor end consumer actually has to jump from one um, uh, uh, technology platform to another to see all these different things and then they end up just not engaging with it. So, so the, the spirit of openness and harmonization really needs to be carried across into these other products uh, for it really to work. Um, and we do need the government to stand up and, and make some, some strong decisions around that in exactly the same way that they made some strong decisions and provide a strong mandate around open banking. Um, so it's time for the, the government to stand up again. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's, it's an exciting time as well in that sense, of course, because there, there's so much more to come, hopefully, um, in terms of open finance. I mean, we touched kind of earlier on the fact that the UK is a leader. You mentioned, obviously, some of the other countries and regions that are that are obviously now making big steps when it comes to open banking. But, you know, in, in your opinion, which regions or which countries are the, the ones to watch when it comes to real open banking innovation and adoption? I, I think the ones to watch are, and we've touched on them before, but um, I'm watching closely Australia. Yeah. Um, I think Australia, what, whilst they don't have an independent implementation entity, um, they do have the benefit from learning from some of our mistakes. Uh, they have adopted the standards that are broadly speaking very similar to ours. Um, but what they have is a vision. And, and that's super powerful because what their vision is, is, is not to stop at open banking, but to build through banking, to open finance, to open everything. Um, because for them, what this stems from is a citizen's data right. So it's almost like they've got their version of GDPR, which is better than our version. Um, and from that, the logical conclusion is, is open data. So that they're on a, 
it looks very similar to what we're doing at the moment, but they've got a vision and that vision will sustain them all the way through. And it means that the banks will find it easier because they know that they're not being singled out for special treatment, but they know that over time, some of these other sectors are going to have their open uh, data event. And of course, then the banks can compete in some of those other sectors as well. So I think that's a more healthy, sustainable way. Um, of course, we'll catch up if we get that vision. Uh, and I know that Bayes uh, and other government departments are working hard to try and deliver us that vision. But that could, you could see Australia um, uh, leapfrogging us actually in that respect. Um, the, uh, although the, the early indications are that they haven't got everything right. So um, uh, we have time. But competition with the Australians is, is something that will always galvanize a bit of British resolve. So, so that's good. Uh, the other area that I do like watching as well is um, Brazil. And, and not just because of the sheer size of the, of the country, but um, they've, they appear to be adopting a form of open banking with a relatively uh, muscular approach by the Central Bank of Brazil that looks very similar to ours, um, but from the get-go is essentially all of open finance. So it's including all those other product areas. But, but for them, I think one of the reasons that it's galvanized so much uh, uh, energy and interest is that um, unlike the UK, they have a particular problem. We have it to a lesser degree, with financial inclusion. So they have got to get the cost of financial services down. They've got to democratize it far more and make it easier to access. Um, and so there's a really powerful argument for them, them to do it. Uh, and, and at the moment, they have a small number of banks with very high interest rates and a lot of consumer credit. So, so they need that market, market to work. So I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more activity uh, coming out of, of Brazil. Then there are a whole bunch of followers. And I'd say most of continental Europe is in, a, is in a really good position as well. But in a year or so, they'll have caught up with, with the UK. They also now believe in standards as well. Um, so uh, that gap will, will close. Um, and then you've got other geographies such as Mexico, uh, uh, as I mentioned, Israel. Canada's at an interesting junction, uh, although it needs to get the political um, uh, uh, momentum behind it. Um, but I think all this can, can happen very quickly, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it can. We've, we've seen um, how, how quickly things can develop, how the speed of, of innovation when, when you know, um, there is the will to, to achieve something and, and the vision to do it. So um, Imran, thank you so much for joining me today. It's uh, been a pleasure to speak to you. I, I really enjoyed my time. Uh, anytime you want to know more, just, just uh, get in touch. Absolutely, will do. Thank you, Imran. Good to see you. Thank you. And all it leaves me to say is thank you for listening. If you'd like to listen to other episodes in the Unplugged series, then go to the on-demand menu on openbankingexpo.com, where you'll see not only our podcast series, but other OBE TV episodes and live panel debates. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.